Hey, it's me, Tim Ranzetta, co-founder of NextGen Personal Finance. Thank you for tuning in to this NGPF podcast. Today on the show, Yanelli is joined by lawyer turned author, Cindy Zuniga Sanchez. She's here to talk about her new book, Overcoming Debt and Achieving Financial Freedom, Eight Pillars to Build Wealth. Cindy breaks down the structure of her book, how she wrote it as a guide for her younger self, how readers can best use it as a financial resource in their own lives. She also speaks about her experience growing up in the Bronx as a first-generation American, paying for law school, and how she dealt with her own student debt of over $200,000. Enjoy! All right. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the NGPF Speaker Series, Cindy. I'm so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited for this. You know, it's so funny because when I first started thinking about who we could have for March, March is important for a few reasons, right? First, it is Women's History Month, which is really important for us to honor. And then the second thing is it's the month right before Financial Literacy Awareness Month, which is April coming up. So we have like a crossroads of like, okay. It's a lot happening. (laughs) It's a lot happening. And it's also just like a call to action for us to focus on highlighting, I think, women's voices in the financial space because we're so underrepresented. There's so many more. Male, male voices that dominate the financial industry. Right. And so that was one thing that I was thinking of. And then of course, naturally, I thought of you because you just published mm-hmm. a book, which is a phenomenal book that I can't wait to talk more about. Thank you. So yes, all around, just very excited. But before we jump in, I want people to know a little bit about you and your platform. Um, and so for those educators who are joining us live or listening to this podcast recording later on, they might not be familiar with zero-based budget, your platform. And so I wanted to give them an introduction to who you are as the founder and what inspired you to start zero-based budget. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Janelli. Thank you, everyone, for being here tonight. Uh, Teachers hold a very special place in my heart. My sister is a teacher. My best friend is a teacher. So love all of you and the work that you do. It's absolutely incredible. So it is an honor to be here tonight. So I am Cindy Zuniga Sanchez, the founder of Zero Based Budget Coaching LLC, which is a personal finance education platform. And I started ZBB after graduating law school with $215,000 of debt. That's really where my money story start, um, started, really, because, uh, you know, I'm a first-gen daughter of immigrants. I was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. I currently reside in Jersey City, uh, but I lived in New York basically my entire life up until just a few months ago, actually. And for me, you know, financial literacy wasn't something that I was ever really exposed to on the level that I absolutely, absolutely needed when it came to taking on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to attend right. school. And so, you know, that is really where uh, my money story started and why I decided to start my platform. It was really for two reasons. Reason number one was to just share my story, share my journey of tackling this mountain of debt with a community. I decided to do so via social media, specifically through Instagram. At first, actually, I created like an anonymous social media page because I was really embarrassed, right? Oh like I was gosh. like, you know, I don't want people to know that I have all of this debt. And then, oh, that's you know, right. a few, yeah, a few months after, you know, starting my platform, I told my husband, like, maybe I should just go public with this. Maybe I should actually just start, you know, sharing my story. And so I did. And then the second reason was 
to just share the information that I was learning in a very easy to follow digestible way. Because for me, what was always, you know, at the forefront of my mind was my community, you know, the community that I was raised in and the community that I really wanted to reach. I wanted this information to reach them. And so, yeah, that's a little bit about me, my platform and, uh, you know, a little bit about the work that I do. Amazing. You know, that's funny. I didn't know. I didn't, I don't think I knew that it was anonymous until I read about um, your story. And I was like, you know, I could, I could actually understand that sentiment because there's so much shame and there's Mm -hmm. so much guilt attached to debt specifically, but money and finances generally. Right. So that's, that's definitely, that makes sense. And it's so sad that, you know, our society has put us in um, this, this mental space, this headspace where we believe that we should feel ashamed or that right. we should feel guilty about our financial situation. If it's not squeaky clean and perfectly uh, financially stable. Exactly. So exactly. that, that makes sense, but I'm so yeah. glad that you came around and decided to go public with it because your yeah. platform has helped so many people. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad too. You know, I, I decided that I would be selfish, right. If I was hoarding this information to myself and, you know, just, just keeping it and and not really sharing with others. And it was very much a let's learn together, you know, type of process. It wasn't a, I'm stepping onto the scene. I'm a money expert and I know all the things it was literally like, let's learn together about credit. Why don't we figure out this budget game together, right? Like all these different topics that I was being exposed to, you know, really for the first time allowed me to be a student again. I really, I realized very quickly that school education does not end when you get your diploma. It's a lifelong thing that happens to all of us, right? Life is a journey. Life is a learning journey. And I wanted to embrace that and also bring others on that journey with me. I love that so much. I think that's definitely true. And especially when it comes to some of the things that we aren't taught in school, because you really have to learn it through the school of hard knocks. And for so many people, money is one of those things. Um, You know, I actually had the pleasure of meeting you in person. And um, it was so sweet to finally like actually see you in person because you your story went viral when you were featured on Good Morning America after you paid off (laughs) all of your debt. And I remember everyone was tagging me and I think you tagged me. And so my Instagram was just getting all these hits. And I woke up this morning and I was looking at my phone and I was like, what is going on? And yeah. it was because your story had taken off. And when they asked you to talk about your story, you mentioned that you had seen some of my videos to learn about yes. your credit card debt. And yes. I was like, oh my goodness, yes. that the fact that even I could play a tiny role in your yes. story is amazing. But I want you to talk a little bit about that experience that you went through before the viral moment and before the paying off all of the debt, that journey to paying off such a large amount. I mean, not a lot of people have experienced paying off $215,000 of debt. And I know it wasn't easy. So talk to us about that. Yeah. So, you know, um, it, it was really funny because I actually Googled, how do I get out of debt? Like that's part of my story, right? Like when I realized, okay, I have to do something about this. I went to Google and I Googled, how do I get out of debt? How do I pay off debt? Because I didn't know where to start. I was like, I don't know what books I should read. I don't know what articles I should go to, you know? And so I went to Google and I came across your YouTube channel where you were talking about, you know, living off of like half of your income in, in, in Brooklyn and, you know, on a teacher's salary. And, you know, for me as a Latina, that was so important. 
it was so important to see someone that looked like me or had a similar life experience as me sharing so candidly, you know, their story and their numbers. And I think it's really important for us to keep in mind that, you know, we have such influence on, on, on others, right? It's not just about whether you have hundreds of thousands of followers, you know, here we're in a room full of teachers, you influence your students, right? Like I remember my teacher from kindergarten, from second grade, I still keep in contact with them. I still keep in contact with my high school chemistry teacher, right? Like teachers have a lasting impact and influence on their students. And I think that we can all learn something from that. So, you know, I came across your YouTube video and it was so informative, you know, for me, I remember just sitting there like on my phone, kind of like, all right, I need to jot that down. Like, oh, she just said that that's a good tip. Right. And like, it was so amazing, you you know, for me to really be exposed to that. Uh, From there, I went to the bookstore. Okay. I went to the bookstore and I was like, let's buy some personal finance books. Um, But you know, what I noticed very quickly is that uh, most of the personal finance books that were available, you know, were written by older white men, right? That was just the reality of of the case. Um, It's the reality of what we see a lot with financial services. There were very few books written by women and even fewer by people of color. And, you know, that was something that I always kind of kept in the back of my mind, right? Of the the unfortunate lack of diversity when it came to personal finance educators and authors. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, um, but but I did what I could, right? And I grabbed a bunch of books, uh, including books by older white men, right? Some of which I think are incredible. Um, and, and some of which did not quite resonate with me, but either way, I think it was really important that I just expose myself to this information. And from there is where I really started learning and growing, you know, and, and created a plan to tackle my debt. I I realized that I needed a very specific plan to tackle the debt. I couldn't just say, oh, I want to pay off all of my law school debt. I want to get out of debt. It wasn't enough for me to just say that. I needed to have a clear written plan about, okay, step one, this is what I'm going to do. Step two, these are the kinds of payments I'm going to have to make. I'm going to have to direct my bonus or, uh, you know, a tax refund towards it. And that all, you know, that learning planning is what led to that point where in uh, December, 2019, I officially became hundred percent debt free. That's amazing. You know, and it's interesting because I know that a lot of people will say, well, it's so easy to pay off your debt when you have such a high income, um, you know, when you're in a high income uh, field, right? And lawyers, you know, notoriously, we know lawyers make a a high salary, Mm -hmm. but I always say, you know, that's, it's so easy to say that, but the reality is in the law field, I know that, and you can probably talk to this. So maybe you can, you know, talk about your experience with this because you practiced law, but what I notice is a lot of those fields where people are highly paid, you know, medicine and law and business, Mm -hmm. there is so much pressure to look like, you are a doctor or look like you are a lawyer and whatever that means to people, right? Look like you're a doctor, look like you're a lawyer costs a lot of money. Oh yeah. So so it's not common for people, Mm -hmm. even when they do make a high salary to commit to something so 
huge, like to yes. paying off that much debt. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about that. I'm sure you witnessed some of those pressures and, and, and it was hard for you, even though you made a high salary. Yeah. You know, it's funny, right? When I was about to graduate from law school, I was talking with some friends. And at the time I was living in a studio apartment in Harlem. And, uh, some of my classmates were like, Oh, so Cindy, when are, where are you going to move to? You know, uh, when we like, after we graduate, I was like, I'm staying in Harlem. <laughs> like, my rent is really cheap. Like I live in a, a small little studio, but it's good. You know, my rent is cheap. And they were like, you know, because they knew that I, I landed one of the coveted quote unquote, you know, a, a job offers at a national law firm. And so it was like, well, okay, that comes with a pretty high salary. So why would you do that? And it was like, for me, you know, I think part of it, to be very honest with you, Janelle, is that I grew up poor, yeah. you know, I grew up low income. Yeah. I know how to make a dollar stretch. I know how to coupon. I know how to do all these things because when you're raised by immigrant parents, you know, and you live in a one bedroom apartment with your parents and your two other sisters, you, you know how to navigate through things. And let me be very honest with you, living just in my own space, even though it was a small studio, luxury to me, right? Oh, so I think yes. a lot of it is also perspective. You know, for mm. me, I it wasn't that difficult for me to avoid a dramatic lifestyle inflation because I knew what it was like to be grounded and to really, you know, um to meal prep, you know, to bring your lunch to to school is what I did for most of my life, right? So what's what's, you know, bringing your lunch to work. And I knew that, especially I work in Midtown Manhattan. I mean, it's super expensive there. Oh, right. Yeah. And so what I did, what I did was a balance, you know, I would bring, and I would actually post about this on my social media too. I would meal prep Monday through Thursday, right. I would bring my lunch to, to work. And then on Fridays, that was my treat day. You know, Fridays was the day that I would go with one of my colleagues to, you know, the salad place that, cost like $18 for a bowl of salad right around the corner. Like I, I learned how to balance things. And I think that that for me was so important to do at the outset rather than allow myself to rent a nice, you know, uh, luxury apartment and, and automatically like very quickly inflate my lifestyle when I honestly had no business doing that. I had so much debt. Um, but for me, also another thing that really motivated me and that has always motivated me, it's been my why, is helping my parents financially. You know, my parents, again, are immigrants, you know, like they're able to thankfully have a, a modest uh, pension from, from um, my dad's pension from work. You know, thankfully he was a, a union worker for... Um, most of his working years. And so, you know, I'm very grateful that they're able to have that and their social security, uh, you know, monthly payment, but they're not living in luxury by no means. And so right. for me, I always kept in mind, what is my why? Like, why do I want to get out of debt? Why do I want to achieve financial freedom? Why do I want to get better with money? And for me, a big part of it was and always has been my parents. You know, and so for me, um, I, I always tell people to really keep their why in mind, right? It can be your parents, your children, your uh, nieces, nephews. Um, it, it could also just be something a little selfish, like you want to, you know, buy yourself your dream car, right? Or you, whatever it may be, that's totally fine, but make sure that it's something that's honest, right? And that's honoring you. And I think another thing with 
um, that I that I heard from what you said, and I, I really think it's so important that we address this, is the financial privilege, right? Like there was a ton of financial privilege in me paying off that kind of debt. And I don't try to hide from it, which is also why I never say, oh, well, if I did it, there's no excuse why you can't do it. That is right. so ignorant, right? Yeah. I would never yeah. say anything like that. But instead, what I started doing uh, around that time when I was, you know, on the verge of almost becoming debt free is I started offering really low cost coaching services, you know, and my coaching clients ranged from baristas, social workers, teachers, doctors, lawyers, you know, all range in the income spectrum um, on the debt spectrum. And what I started doing was really teaching the tools. Because all of our numbers are different, right? We live all over the country. Like I live in an extremely high cost of living area, right? Whereas if I lived in another part of the US, uh, my expenses wouldn't be nearly as high, but maybe right. my pay would be lower, right? Like we're, we all have very, very different situations. But what are the tools? You know, what, what do we, what can we all put into place so that we can achieve, you know, whatever our version of financial freedom is. And I think that for me was the big thing, right? It was not, let me coach you on how to throw a thousand dollar payment, you know, to your debt when your monthly income probably would not allow for that. Right. It's, it's not being realistic. And so for me, I really, you know, developed this, uh, the sort of system, the sort of plan for helping people regardless of their numbers. And, and it also, I think that it was so helpful for me as someone that was passionate about teaching personal finance to surround myself with, again, diverse people from diverse fields, industries, income levels, uh, and really also see that sometimes, uh, actually this happened numerous times, uh, you know, my, my teacher coaching client uh, was actually saving more than my doctor coaching client. Boom. True story. That is an actual true story. Um, yeah. and, and so, you know, I, I just think it's great to have different perspectives too. Absolutely. So I, I know that in terms of tackling debt that big, there's all these different strategies and yeah. methodologies about how to do it. Did you feel like you had an idea of how you wanted to tackle it? Did this ever come up for you in law school or in mm -hmm. school where you kind of thought like, oh, I think I, you know, I'm going to tackle it in this particular way? Or did this all just come from the research that you were doing? And then what did you actually decide to implement in terms of the strategy to tackle the debt? Yeah, it definitely came after I graduated from law school. I mean, before law school, it was like, I'll deal with that when I have to, you know, and it's, it's the truth, right? And it's yeah. terrible. And I, that yeah. was also the approach that I had for like my credit card debt, right? I was just like, swipe, 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 swipe. I'll deal with it when I have to. And it was a little reckless, right? I'm going to be very honest. Uh, but what I found after graduating law school and realizing like, oh, wait, I need some sort of a plan is that there are different methodologies for paying off debt. And a really popular one actually is the debt avalanche method, which all it is, is that you list all of your debts, right? So you're gonna, you know, let's say you have five different debts. You have two student loans and you have two credit card debts and you have a car loan, just as an example, right? You're gonna list those debts in order from highest interest rate to lowest interest rate. And you're gonna focus on, you're gonna pay minimum payments on all of your debts right? Because we need to do that. We can't be delinquent on our debts, right? We don't want to default, but we're going to aggressively tackle the debt that has the highest interest rate. 
So most likely in our example, it's going to be one of your credit cards, right? Because most likely your credit cards have the highest interest, right? And so we're going to go ahead and, and direct any additional payment that we can make, even if it's 10 bucks a week, right? We're going to direct that to the debt that has the highest interest rate. So for me, that was my credit card hands down. I talk yep. about my credit card in my book. I yep. loathe it. Okay. I, I, it was, it was such a bad experience because it was a credit card that I signed up for when I was in high school, which now is not allowed because there were a lot of, you know, congressional measures that took place, you know, to avoid, um, marketing credit cards to That's high school right. children children. Okay. It was literally, I was a literal child when yeah. I signed up for this card, but I digress. Um, you know, that was the, definitely the first thing that was on my mind is let me tackle this credit card debt, get rid of it as quickly as I possibly can, because the interest is really killing me. And then I'll focus on my student loans, which have a lower interest rate. And that's basically what I did. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when it comes to the amount of debt that you had, yeah. it's, it's a significant difference if you reorder the debts and focus on a different order of payment yeah. because your interest rate was so big on your credit cards and yeah. much lower on student loans that that discrepancy in interest rate alone could be tens of thousands of dollars over the yeah. course of the term of your loan because your principal or because well your total loan amounts were just so high so yeah. the to me when it when it, it's about numbers you really focus on the avalanche method and there's the psychological piece which a lot of people argue is better about the snowball method yeah but at the end of the day when you're looking at the the dollar amounts that yeah. you're able to save uh you know the avalanche method just it makes so much sense for 200 yeah. plus debt yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, there is the debt snowball method, which, you know, I, I teach as well, because for some people, they really need that motivation. So the debt snowball method is literally just the same deal, right? We're going to order our debts, but this time, instead of doing it from highest interest rate to lowest, we're going to do from the smallest dollar amount, the smallest balance to the highest. So that method could be helpful if, for example, you have like three credit cards, uh, like you have three debts and that that's it. It's just the three credit cards. They all have maybe similar interest rates. And you just want to get that motivation by tackling those small pesky cards. It's probably like a store credit card, right? Like a TJ Maxx or a Macy's credit card, you know, that you owe, let's say maybe like three or $400 on, right? You want to get those small debts out of the way and then go on to the larger ones. You know, that's, that's, that could be a good option for you too. You know, when people ask me, you know, obviously what I did, I definitely leaned on the debt avalanche for my purposes because, you know, of the interest rate was just so massive. Uh, but ultimately my advice is do what's going to get you to pay off the debt, right? Like pick the right. method that really speaks to you and is going to motivate you to actually, you know, put a plan into place to become debt free. Right. And ultimately reach the finish line, because at yes. the end of the day, if you start with something and then you, you quit because you don't feel like it's working for you or absolutely. it doesn't speak to you, then absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Makes so of much sense. of money is behavioral, right? It's psychological, yes. it's emotion-based and, and we can't ignore that. And so that's why I think it's so important for us to just be very aware of ourselves and our personal styles. Yeah, excellent point. Um, that's why at NGPF, quick shameless plug, we have an entire unit uh, on behavioral economics because mm -hmm. we recognize the behavioral component of money is so important, more yeah. so now than ever, given the amount of ads and stuff that we're seeing on social media and on our phones and computers and iPads. 
that the, the barrage of ads are messing with our minds. And mm. if we don't address the behavioral component and the psychological component, it's like we're not doing a, a holistic, com- comprehensive uh, financial Absolutely. education. We can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So true. I love that. Love that. Okay. Well, we're here to talk about your book. You are an <laughs> author now, which is amazing. Yes. Uh, Cindy has a phenomenal book called Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom. It's the eight pillars to build wealth. <laughs> and I am honestly like I, when I got your book in the mail, I was like, this book, it just gives me like the feeling of like, you know, when you wish you had a class in school, yeah. that would be the, the textbook for the class yes. that we wish we had, which, yes. you know, for this audience of educators is so powerful. And, mm-hmm. you know, each author series, we do um, gift teachers books. So 50 teachers who are here in attendance live and zoom are going to be chosen at random to get a copy of your book. So, Yay. you know, fingers <laughs> crossed for all those that are here today. Super to exciting. Yes. But, you know, one of the things that you that they often do, especially educators who are at the high school level where students can easily jump in and start reading to excerpts of your book is use those excerpts in the classroom, either as homework assignments or during in class for reading exercises for activities. And so I want you to talk about where do you feel like the best excerpts from your book that would be the most applicable for a high school student? Where would you direct the teachers to look um, when they open up your book? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my book is called Overcoming Debt, Achieving Financial Freedom, Eight Pillars to Build Wealth. And, you know, I really wrote this book as sort of like an easy resource guide, as a very easy manual. You know, a lot of times certain personal finance books that I read, I found that they were very kind of like muddled and they jumped around a lot. And I know my learning style and I really appreciate structure. I'm a big, big fan of structure and I'm sure you educators can appreciate that as well. So here's how the book is laid out. The first part of the book is all about my money story. It just is my personal story about how I went from having a negative six-figure net worth because I haven't had a ton of debt to a positive six-figure net worth, you know? And I think it's really important also for me being a first-gen Latina, being able to share that. And I think sharing that with, you know, a younger, a younger audience is also really powerful, right? Like, wow, like that, that's, that's really great. Maybe one day I can achieve something similar too. So, you know, the, the first part is really personal to my story, but the core of the book, okay, the core of the book is eight chapters each going through a specific pillar. And I think that you're all going to really appreciate the fact that when you want to learn about the, about credit and credit cards, oh, boom, you go to that chapter, right? It's laid out and it's laid out with examples. We love hypotheticals around here. Um, and it all, each chapter also features an interview. And for the credit chapter, Janelli is featured in that chapter, you know, so graciously shared her story, (laughs) shared her tips, because I really wanted to include different perspectives and voices as well in my book. And so, you know, that's the core part of the book is, is these eight pillars, the eight chapters. And then at the end, something else that I think people will appreciate is a roadmap and checklists and templates, right? Like how satisfying for us to just be like, oh, what was the chapter number eight? That was about debt. All right, let me just go through the points really quickly. Is there just like a small area where I can just go to the main points and kind of just check them off to make sure I had that reading comprehension, you know, established in my brain? Boom, boom, boom. And I think that's really helpful too when you are delivering material. And so if I had to pick three specific parts where teachers uh, that are maybe speaking to a high school audience can 
it can go to, I would say that it would be pillar number one, which is knowing your numbers. That's the chapter where we really talk about net worth. And I think it's so important for us to start there because a lot of times we don't understand. And by we, I mean, like generally all of us, we don't understand where we are in our net worth journey, right? Your net worth is your assets minus your liabilities. So what you own minus what you owe. And that concept, first of all, I didn't learn that at all in school. I learned that after graduating law school. But that concept, I think, is so important so that students can understand what an asset is, right? Because that's what you want to try to acquire uh, after you graduate from school, right? That is the whole point of why we're entering the workplace, right? We want to be able to acquire, uh, you know, money in our savings accounts. You know, that's an asset. Uh, we want to maybe purchase a car, purchase a home, right? Like these are all things that will help build up our asset column. But we might also incur liabilities as well. Student loans, credit cards, a car note, and I, I, I like that as a starting point um, so that students can understand these concepts of assets and liabilities, but how both of those things combined, right, make up our net worth, which is overall where we stand financially. I think, and, and, and I can see many different, uh, you know, in-class exercises with, you know, sample, you know, examples of, of different assets that you have, and then, you know, how maybe an asset can be tied to also a liability. Like, oh, you want to buy a car and it's $15,000 and you're putting $5,000 down, but you have to take out a $10,000 car note. So what is that? Oh, that's a liability. So that goes in that column, right? I think it's a nice way to get students started. Um, number two that I would really love to go into, and I'm a little biased, is uh, the budget chapter, right? I think it's so important for us to understand how to manage our money. And a lot of times people are really turned off by the word budget. My business has the word budget in it. Like that's part of my name. So you know that I love me a budget, but I would encourage all of you to teach your students that a budget is a plan. That's it. Like, that's what it is. It's not this like intimidating thing. You know, a lot of times people hear I'm on a budget and they're automatically like, oh my gosh, that must mean that you're like, broke or you're super frugal or yep. maybe even like you're cheap or no <laughs> a budget just means hey I have a plan for my finances and exploring different options for that is great so my uh chapter five of my book goes into the different types of budgets that you can use everything from those of you that are like very type a maybe you have some students that are like super super detailed to the students that are kind of like oh like miss, I don't really want to like get into the nitty gritty. There's something for you too. Right. And so that's why I wrote that. And then I think the last one, of course, it might be kind of obvious is the student loans part, right? It's so important for our children to really understand what student loans are, what is principal versus interest, what are different types of repayment options. And so I think that those three, you know, understanding your net worth, understanding how to manage your finances through a budget, AKA your money plan, and finally, how to manage student loans if and when you need them uh, are all great starting points to go from. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And that um, the, the know your numbers, the net worth, I think is critical, especially before you even start teaching students about borrowing money. Right. Because then mm -hmm. they already know um, 
that that fits into their their total uh, net worth when they're calculating yeah. that, right? And then uh, pillar two, budgeting, we have a whole unit on budgeting. So if teachers are looking to supplement that, you can pull from pillar two, choose your best budget, which is chapter five in Cindy's book. And mm-hmm. then lastly, we have a whole unit in the NGPF curriculum called paying for college, where you mm-hmm. could pull to substitute um, different activities or lessons, or even just add sections of the book to, um, to that part of your instruction. And that section in the book is called what school didn't teach you about student loans, which Mm -hmm. I really love that you called it that because we all know know, the whole point, a lot of schools do emphasize college as a pathway that, um, you know, students should consider, but then they don't teach about how to pay for it. So it's very critical. I think that piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, a lot of, oh, this is such a funny comment from Maggie. I wanted to point out in the chat. Cindy yeah. created her own Cliff Notes guide for her book. Love listen, it. Listen, <laughs> listen, we're trying to make things easier, right? Sometimes we're like, wait, sometimes, you know, sometimes when you're like read a chapter of a book and you're like, oh, that was good. Wait, what did it say again? Right? And you're like, you know, so it's just so easy to be able to go there. Um, and there's also templates, you know, that I created so that you know, like, oh, okay, this is how I can like kind of structure that part as well. Uh, you know, actual things that I use, you know, like I wrote this book really thinking about what do I wish I had? when I started this journey, you know? And so no matter if you are in high school or if you're in your 70s, right? Like no matter where you fall on the spectrum, it's written in a way that I really hope people will find is very digestible, is very relatable, is not just a, you know, well, this is what it is, but this is how an imaginary person might implement this, you know, this concept as well. All of that is kind of, you know, baked into it. And, and again, you know, I, I really wrote the book that I wish someone would have gifted me. I truly yeah. wish somebody would have been like, Hey, look, you need this. All right. You need this. Um, at my law school graduation, that would have been wonderful, but you know, it didn't happen, but it's okay. Cause now I wrote yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And now you're making it happen for the next generation. So Absolutely. they don't have to say that when they're older, like I wish yeah. I had, no, they'll yeah. actually be able to get it. And, you know, that's one of the things I think is so beautiful about the, the, like the um, expansion of, I think of the voices in the financial space is that Mm -hmm. at first it was just very much like you said, like these classic voices, these classic money books. And now there's so many more voices, so many more stories, such a diversity that allows anybody no matter what the unique intersections of your identity factors are, you can yeah. find another voice who's talking about their unique situation with money and how they managed. And yes. so it doesn't mean that you need to copy it. It means that you can seek inspiration from them that, oh, wow, like they were able to manage with all of these other factors that most people don't consider. Yeah. They were still able to come up with a plan. So, you know, that's the inspiration It's not necessarily like, you know, the cheat code, because it yeah. might not work exactly that way for you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You'll, you'll take what you can apply to your life. And, uh, and, and, you know, tweak it, I encourage you to do that, right? Because it's like, personal finance is indeed highly personal. And yeah. so, you know, it's important for us, I think, to learn from, you know, different voices, different perspectives, and then yeah. ultimately choose what the best path for you is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, because we're talking about like how you're, you've organized the book and the cliff notes section that you even created and really super, super organized on it. In the book, you talk about how you had your planner and in bold, you put up at the top, your debt, um, your goal for your debt-free payment last day that you're going to make your last payment. 
And so you have that in your planner. And every mm-hmm. time I'm on your Instagram, I notice that you always buy a new planner and you always recommend planners to people. So yes. it's clear to me you are planner very right here. highly organized. <laughs> My planner is right next to me. Girl. Just happens, I can't live to without me, this. happens to be right in your hands. Just just right there, ready to show. <laughs> so, <laughs> you see, I, I saw a teacher there right there. Yeah. And this is there we my, go. Um, Tiska, yeah. Look, I love it. I love it. I love a good planner. But so I'm curious to know how much of a role do you think that plays in Mm. somebody's financial um, journey? And especially when they have success paying off debt and achieving really large milestones and goals like big financial goals. Because if if there's a lack of organization or or blatant disorganization with everything that, you know, I I imagine that that's something that you probably believe holds people back. And so I wonder what how much of a role do you think your knack for hyper-organization played in your success? Yeah, you know, I think that this is something that I remember hearing when I started my journey and, and it really resonated with me, which is we, by default, do not give our finances the same care and attention that we give everything else. Mm. And it makes no sense because money is the one thing that affects every single person on this planet, no matter your race, gender, sex, Uh, industry, whatever, it affects where you live, what food you eat, you know, uh, the kind of job that you take, the, it affects everything in your life. And so why don't we give as much care and attention to it? Now we all have different styles, right? Like some of us are super planners. uh, Some of us are very organized. You know, um, I've found that teachers are extremely organized. You know, I'm just thinking about like my sister and my best friend, you know, have their, their calendars, you know, whether you have a paper calendar or a virtual one, we all have different styles. But what I do believe is that words have power. When you write something down, there is something to committing to that act, right? The, the, whatever it is that you wrote down. So maybe for you, it's not an actual paper planner, like my planner that I have here. And if you're curious, this is a passion planner. That's the name of Mm, of the company passion planner. Um, maybe you're not a written planner type of person, right? Maybe you are more of a virtual kind, right? Or maybe most of your life occurs in your phone, right? Well then create a note section, create a note section where your goal is written, where it's, I'm going to pay off my Amex credit card in, uh, let's say August, 2024, right? Like say it, be intentional, have a plan behind it. I think it's so important for us to, you know, organize our finances in the way that we best be fit for our lives. So for example, I'm very big into like apps, right? I, I love me a good app. Uh, you know, I, I'm a millennial. My most of my life is on my phone. Right. And so I have a little folder that has finance, right? Like that's the name of the folder and all my finance apps are on there. My banks, my investing accounts, uh, you know, where I check like my credit score, all of my budget app, right? The budget app that I use, all of that is housed in this folder labeled finance. And so you have to really think about what is the way that you love to best structure your life, whether it's virtually, you know, digitally or on paper, make some room there for your finances too. You know, and, 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 and believe that words have power. They do. 
Definitely. And I think one of the big things too, is just the fact that you always have it. And for me, that's a, that's such a beautiful part of planning. It's almost like journaling or like we're yes. having a diary, right? Yeah. Because you're, you're what you're, it's what you said, right? It's like, we put so much time and organization and commitment to all these other parts of our life, right? We plan our time and our commitments and put them yeah. on the calendar and we track yes. them there, right? Yes. We track our calories, we track our steps, we track our performance. If we're, if we're athletes, we take a performance test today, see how many, see how fast we can run. And then tomorrow run again and see if we can run faster. And, and we yep. track all of these things about our lives all the yep. time. And it's really normal to say things like, oh, I'm tracking my calories because I want to lose weight. Oh, I'm yep. tracking my progress in this because I want to get better so I can run this marathon. Oh, I'm tracking, you know, I have this calendar app that's helping me keep track of my time. But when it comes to tracking money, it's yeah. just, it's one of those things that people don't normally talk about how yeah. they do it yeah. and, and what tools are best for it. Right. So, you know, you make an excellent point about the fact that you have to be just as intentional in this area yeah. as you would be about your commitments and your schedule and your calendar, your calories, your steps, any, Absolutely. all of the other things you track. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an important part of our lives. You know, we shouldn't shy away from it. I think that a lot of times what, what it is is that people are really held back by the, the weight of it all and can sometimes be very discouraged because writing it down means confronting it. And sometimes we don't want to confront it. We're being very honest with ourselves, but there is power when we actually confront that elephant in the room. And I think that once you find the ability to do that, you will be, you will find very quickly that you are so much better off because now you have the ability to start creating a plan and start addressing it as well. Yeah, that is an excellent point. Um, okay, so you talk to us about the top three sections of your book that you would recommend for a high school student. Yeah. But one of the things that I'm curious about is what is your top most favorite part to write? Because mm -hmm. as a lawyer who, you know, had a lot of experience writing, you know, you were a very natural writer because you write a lot when you're a lawyer. I know this. And so when you're sitting down to write your book, I know that, you know, you had to have so many ideas and so many different ways that you could um, uh, structure or tackle a particular section. And so yeah. I'm sure you enjoyed some more than others, but I'm just curious what part of the book you are, you just like the, you feel like it's your favorite part that you spent time writing on. Yeah. So for me, I think, well, of course the writing my story was uh, incredibly special to me because it was the ability to bring my story as a daughter of immigrants, as someone that was raised in the low income community. It was my ability to bring that to the world, but it was also my hardest section by far. I actually wrote chapters four through 12, which are the eight pillars. And then that last chapter with the checklist and the templates, I wrote that first. And then I wrote the first part of the book, which is chapters um, one through three. I'm sorry. So it was chapters four through 12. So chapters one through three, yep. which are my story. Um, I actually wrote it at the end. And it's because it was really, it was really hard for me. It was very emotional as well. I mean, think about it, right? Think about having the task of conveying the pivotal parts of your life to a public audience in a way that makes sense, in a way that flows, 
in a way that honors your history and your story, but also shows the challenges and, you know, the, the ups and the downs uh, and, and leads your reader to a desire of, okay, now I'm ready to dive into the rest of the book. That's a lot of pressure. And so oh, for yeah. me, even though it was absolutely my favorite part, um, I do want to share with you all that it was my most challenging. And it was, it was, that was the part that, listen, I have never like, uh, you know, as, as a lawyer, I, I write for the, the courts, right? So I did litigation and, uh, you know, for those of you unfamiliar, that's like the, the courts side, right. Of, of law. Um, now was I ever really in court like that? Not often every once in a while, but, uh, I think that law and order has skewed our perspective on what lawyers do on a day-to-day, which for me, most of it is research and writing. And so Mm. that's most of what I did. Right. But I've never had to, you know, I, I always had this kind of like structure formulaic type of answer on how I was going to write for a judge to be my reader. But here, this is my story and I'm not writing for a judge. I'm not writing for the court. I'm writing for you, right? I'm writing for our community. I'm writing for my neighbor, for my girlfriend, for for my, one of my old teachers, you know, I'm writing for us. And so that for me, of course, was the section that gave me the fire and and the passion and the heart. Um, But it was definitely the most challenging, Uh, but I'm happy how it turns out. And uh, yeah, in the end, I was like, wow, like you'll see that it's such a small part. It's such a small sliver of it. And I was like, that was the most like, you know, daunting part of it. And, um, and it, it was unlike anything that I had ever written in law school or as a lawyer too. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, you, you don't realize how, uh, unnatural formal writing can make yes. you, um, feel and, and oftentimes how formal writing is to read. <laughs> so, um, so, and when you have to actually write your story out, you're like, no, I really want this to feel easy to read and approachable yeah. and relatable. I don't want it to sound like all my court briefs. Yeah. I don't want it to sound like those briefings. I don't want it to right. sound so like stuffy and formal. So you, so it almost takes twice as long or maybe yes. three times as long because yes. you really want to go back in and make sure that it feels like a natural, easy to read uh, text. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Cindy, if you want to throw in a final word, we'll kind of defer to you on that, but thank you so much just for spending the hour with us, making time to share your wisdom with the community. Thank you, Janelli. Thank you so much. You know, to all of you, uh, like your profession is hands down the most admirable profession because you create the future, right? And and so and you help mold minds. And like I said, I have so much love and respect for my teachers, you know, that I still keep in contact. There is so much impact that you have, you know, and I think that we live in a day and age where we think that social media influencers, like a lot of kids like to think that they're like the cool ones, right? But no, no, like you all are the actual influencers and so there's so much that you can do to really transform your children your students lives and i think that what you're all doing is absolutely incredible hats off to all of you you know thank you janelli for uh giving me this platform for allowing me to share my story and and you know any insight that hopefully could help people on this call and i would really appreciate if we stay connected so you have my linkedin you have my instagram and uh yeah let's not let this be the last time that we see each other 
few final housekeeping items before we go. We'll put links to the resources Cindy mentioned. They'll show up in our show notes at www.ngbf.org forward slash podcast. Better yet, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. I want to thank Ren McKino for producing our podcast as well as the show notes every week. Thank you, Ren. And on behalf of Yanelli, Cindy, and myself, I want to thank you again for tuning in to this NGBF podcast. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>